questions? Ms. Munsu, are we starting? Yes, ma'am. Okay, wonderful. And the same time, the we can start now. I don't want to waste chairperson's time. Thank you very much. Good afternoon to everyone. For us to start our engagement, can we just observe a moment of silent prayer? Thank you very much. Thank you. I hope everyone that indicated are so far connected and I hope everyone can hear me. Before we start with our inputs, let me just remind all the honorable delegates and participants that when you are not speaking, please assist in muting your mic. That will assist with the, with the, uh, with the sound quality, and it will assist us to actually have a very good broadcast, particularly on YouTube and on Facebook, where we are already now and later on the 408 the Parliamentary Channel. Before we start, let me just make a few opening remarks, and let me observe the protocol by acknowledging the members of Parliament that are present, the local government leadership, at the district and a local level, the representative of the chairperson of the Commission for Gender Equality, the chairperson of the Financial and Fiscal Commission and his delegated officials, our statistician general and his delegated officials, the deputy auditor general, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen. We are here because of the long line of women they took the lead in the struggle for national liberation. Today we are thinking in particular of women like Frances Bart, a remarkable woman born in Beaconsfield in Kimberley, 1909, who dedicated her entire life to the improvement of her community and fighting for the rights of her people until her death. We are here to continue with the ethos and the ideas Mama Frances Bart stood for the South African society remains a pluralist one with huge cultural diversities and there are many challenges ahead. Furthermore, in modern day South African, women are faced with a wide range of issues such as gender-based violence, poverty, high levels of unemployment and multiple other challenges. Distinguished guests, honorable participants, although great strides have been made since the advent of democracy in South Africa, Gender discrimination still takes place in the workplace. And while there are notable exceptions, women are as yet poorly represented in top managerial and executive posts countrywide. Reflecting on these deep challenges, the 25-year milestone of the Women's Charter for Effective Equality provides both scope and context for the review and analysis of the entire women's rights regime. This review process is intended to activate strategic discussions in the sixth dispensation, particularly around matters of policy, legislation, and structural arrangements, they still proved to be ineffective in advancing women's rights in South Africa. In 1994, women across the spectrum said in Article 2 of the Charter, and I quote, women demand equality in the development, 
application, adjudication, interpretation and enforcement of the law. This can only be achieved if the social, economic and political positions of women is taken into account in deciding policy, which ultimately determines legislative priorities and the implementation thereof. Today, we are here to assess and to review how far we've come in advancing the implementation of Article 2 of the Charter, as well as various other challenges that women are facing in the two districts. We are here because we want to give a voice to women across the length and breadth of South Africa. As we embark on this discussion today, may we remember, while various mechanisms exist to make gender responses mandatory, these mechanisms mechanisms are often fragmented and lack coherence and broad-based political support. There is definitely a lack of coherent policies, programs, systems, and procedures to promote gender responsive policy, research planning, budgeting, monitoring, evaluation, and auditing in South Africa. We would love to hear about the challenges that you as women are facing. We want to know where the stumbling blocks of, transfer, blocks of transformation are. Most importantly, we want the state machinery in its entirety to begin to work cohesively and respond decisively to the deep-seated conditions of poverty faced by women. To this end, we want government's planning processes across the three spheres to echo our commitment to work together and to respond decisively to women's issues. And with that, we also want to welcome all of you that will be today on this platform because of the COVID-19 pandemic, all of us know that we have been, in fact, if I can use the word like being forced to, to actually adapt to the current circumstances where we can't have physical contact with one another, but through these platforms, we have been able to carry our task forward and we have been able to, in spite of all the challenges that we are experiencing, being able to be in contact with one another. With that few words, I want to welcome one and all to this platform and to, without further ado and without further waste of time, we'll immediately go into the presentations that will be made. The current program as it stands will just change a little bit in that we will request that Mr. Maluleke will be the first one to do his presentation on the socioeconomic overview of the Northern Cape and of the two districts that we are engaging with today. With that said and done, let me then hand over to Mr. Maluleke to do his presentation. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, let me indeed uh, acknowledge all uh, the members of parliament, the representative of the Gender Equality Commission, as well as the uh, Financial and Fiscal Commission represented by the chairperson and all members that I may not have mentioned by name, uh, all protocols observed. As I've indicated that I, will, uh, I would like to leave early for other commitments. There are two colleagues uh, connected, uh, Gwen Lithuania as well as uh, uh, Neil Eru, who will deal with questions once I have presented. Let us look at the next slide and talk about the population of the Republic of South Africa. Uh, uh, sitting, the slides are not moving. If I could request that, uh, yes. The population of South Africa sitting at 58.78 uh, 
million. This is quite interesting, Chairperson, in that I always get asked this statistician general, when you say 58.78 million, who do you include? Are you talking about uh, citizens or not? We count everyone within the borders of South Africa because everyone within the borders of South Africa needs services. And in this regard, uh, um, we also do so as we delineate them in, uh, in what populations sit in the provinces. And let us look at the provinces in the next slide. The provinces are such that uh, Gauteng is uh, leading the pack in terms of its population sitting at 15.17, while the Northern Cape is sitting at 1.27. Uh, million uh, persons. So at 1,270,000,000 persons, it's almost like uh, 1.3 million. Uh, it accounts only for 2.2% of our population in the country. Whereas provinces like Gauteng are more than 10 times the size of the population that uh, 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 the Northern Cape holds. Let us look at what the next slide tells us. Uh, uh, indeed, uh, when we look at Francis Bard and uh, uh, Bard, and indeed, uh, Chairperson, uh, you have made uh, uh, opening remarks in relation to uh, how the, the, the district municipality derives its name from one of our heroines. The population as projected for 2020 is 413,000, to be exact, 413,291 persons. And if we look at the next slide, we will see that indeed uh, uh, the, the, the population of uh, uh, John Tuole uh, uh, District Municipality is sitting at 269,000 as of 2020. Now we want to see in the next slides how these municipalities are uh, sitting in terms of gender uh, uh, distribution of the population. And if we look at uh, John Tole Haitiwe uh, District Municipality, the majority of the people there represent what we see at national level, where about 52% are female and about 48% uh, are male. And let us look at the next slide when we go back to Francis Bart, we will see again that in this regard, we are seeing a population that indicates that the majority of them indeed are female. Uh, in, that, in, 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 in that district municipality, as it sits in other uh, 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 municipalities. But in this regard, it's not showing the national average. Uh, we have about 50% uh, female and about 49.8, uh, uh, which is closer to 50% male in this uh, district municipality. Uh, now, one of the things, as we look at the next slide, please, uh, one of the things I would want to add is that uh, uh, in most cases, our data is difficult to disaggregate at lower levels than province. This is because of uh, the sample sizes that we have for our sample surveys. And then the error of estimation might be very high. So statisticians in official practice do not want to make such mistakes. At Francis Bard Municipality, we are saying that 97.5% of the households in this municipality had as the main source of uh, water uh, uh, delivered through uh, 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 piped connections. So the water for drinking 
about 97.5, relatively higher than most of the district municipalities. And about 83.1% had uh, access to flush or chemical toilets. 91% of the households were connected to electricity as the main source of power supply. Uh, now let us look at the next slide. As we, we look at the next slide, we will see that uh, there are indeed uh, differences in relation to uh, John Taolo uh, Ahaizu District Municipality, where from 97.5 in the previous slide in relation to Francis Bad, here we are dropping to 91.3% of people uh, uh, that are accessing uh, 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 water uh, uh, as a main source of uh, 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 drinking. And in this regard, further, we are saying that 31.4% uh, had access to flush and chemical toilets. I see there's been a repeat of Francis, but actually we are talking about uh, John uh, Dual, uh, Taulo uh, Haizu District Municipality here. Furthermore, let us look at uh, electricity as a main source of power supply. We are sitting at 87.6%. But the biggest drop compared to Francis Bad is in access to flush uh, or chemical toilets, which is sitting at, at, uh, at 31%. There's a six, almost 60 percentage points difference between uh, John uh, Taule Haizo District Municipality and Francis Bad in favor of uh, Francis Bar District Municipality having flush or chemical toilets. Let us look at the next slide. And as we do so, we should understand that uh, uh, now we are elevating this, our discussions uh, uh, back to the provincial level. Uh, may I, yeah, please. We are saying that uh, uh, both uh, the two municipalities, uh, uh, around 40% of the population of the Northern Cape is considered to be poor. And this is in line with the national uh, average of the lower bound poverty line. And we will look further in relation to the Northern Cape now. As on matters poverty, we can disaggregate to lower levels. And we do so as we look at the next slide uh, going forward. Uh, and in doing so, we are saying that, uh, uh, let us first talk about the broad-based approach of what is lower bound? I'll start with the lower bound, that is the middle line, because the lower bound poverty line is what every person uh, uh, is being tracked on in the country based on the National Development Plan. We have adopted as a country the lower bound poverty line. So we are saying that a person per month needs about 810 rands to be able to choose between food and important and non-food items. In this regard, it means that if you fall below this line, you would certainly be classified as being poor in South Africa. On the bottom, we are saying that this is the food poverty line, that if you don't have 561 rands per person per month, you would not be able to purchase the necessary minimum daily food required to give you enough calories for energy intake. And that's classified as the uh, uh, hunger poverty line. The upper bound is where people have to choose between uh, uh, food and, uh, and, and, and have to choose between uh, what they have and the minimum desired lifestyle 
say a cell phone, someone can choose, can I have a cell phone or not? And that is sitting at 1,227, called the upper bound poverty line. Now let us look at the next slide. And as we do so, we should remember that the lower bound poverty line for South Africa defines that our population is 40% poor. And as such, if we look at the lower bound, that is the circle in the middle for uh, 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 the Northern Cape, it's 40.7, which is closer to the national average. Uh, let us look at the next slide. And as we look at the next slide, we are saying that uh, indeed, uh, in the Northern Cape particularly, the, 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 the sex definition or, uh, uh, of, uh, uh, was that the head of the household is a factor in defining who is poor. We don't use gender as statisticians. Uh, we still use the issue of male, female as in the sex definition beyond just the social standing. And uh, uh, we may have a long discussion about that. It's adopted at the United Nations uh, uh, as an approach through which we use for measurement. Now, uh, uh, let us look at uh, uh, females. Females are sitting at 43% as being households that relatively uh, are, are poor compared to males who are sitting at 39%. So we can see that when households are headed by women, they are actually relatively, uh, households headed by women are the ones that are relatively poor compared to households headed by men. Yet women uh, are the ones that are feeding the families and the households. No mother, no woman will ever eat food until other members of her family have eaten. No mother will ever eat food until her children have eaten uh, and as such. So let us look at the next slide. In the next slide, we are looking at individual levels of education that relate to poverty. Uh, and we are looking at the Northern Cape. We can see from the left-hand side that people with no schooling uh, are relatively much more poorer than those that have on the right, say secondary school or higher. So education, education, education plays a critical role in getting people out of poverty everywhere in the world, including in the Northern Cape. Let us look at the next slide and we will further demonstrate the role of education in relation to how we alleviate poverty. Uh, let us go further uh, into the next slide. We also talk about the multidimensional poverty and in South Africa, while globally we look at health, education and living standards. In South Africa, we have calculated what we call the South African multidimensional poverty index, which includes uh, economic activity. And in this regard, uh, including economic activity, we include unemployment. Now, let us go further into the next slides to demonstrate what uh, this means uh, uh, in relation to the South African multidimensional poverty line. The South African multidimensional poverty line is sitting at 6%. Generally, uh, um, municipalities in the Northern Cape uh, tend to fall below the global and the South African one. Uh, the Northern Cape and Pumalanga tend to show that on average, people are not as poor as we pick up across the nation. 
across the South African nation. Uh, and this 7% of the multidimensional poverty talks about including things that government does in, intervene on things like uh, feeding schemes, providing free uh, uh, basic water, electricity, books at schools and the like. And we measure them from the side, not from the households, from the side of government's intervention. And we will talk more as we look at the next slide uh, in this regard. Uh, because when we come specifically to the role of uh, 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 education and, and unemployment in increasing multidimensional poverty, we look at the top two uh, categories. Unemployment is sitting at, at 52% as of 2016. And of course, uh, uh, years of schooling are sitting at 11%. Together, these two, education and unemployment, account for 63% of the contribution to poverty. So to, we need to address education, 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 so that people can get employment. And when they get employment, they can get out of poverty. Let us look at the, the next slide. Because if people are not educated, they can't be employed, so they remain unemployed. Let us look at the next slide. And as they remain unemployed, they contribute to poverty because they cannot fend for themselves to provide for their own families. Uh, let us look at the next slide. In the next slide, we are going to look at uh, the Gini coefficient. And when we talk about the Gini coefficient, we are talking about uh, uh, the gap between uh, uh, the have and the have not. So if in a society where people are relatively poor, the Gini coefficient will be very low. In the society where the Gini coefficient is uh, relatively uh, uh, higher, uh, uh, it means that there are poor people and non-poor people. So the homogeneity of our society causes the Gini coefficient to be lower. It's very critical for especially MPs who are looking at the political landscape of our country that in, this one shows us inequality. When people do not can see that others have and they do not have, that's when they start raising their concerns and politicians have to be, was that, to be always mindful of these issues. So our Gini coefficient has been dropping since 2006 largely from 0 0.67 to 0 0.65. But in the next slide, as we go there, we will look at the difference between males and females and look at other aspects in relation to uh, inequality. Uh, it looks like uh, the slides are moving a bit slower now. Uh, it might be a systems overload. Uh, let us look at... Uh, uh, the, the whole issue of ma males and females in relation to inequality, we can see that generally on the lower line, females have a lower level of Gini coefficient at 0 0.61 compared to males. And this means that when we compare what women have, they tend to be poorer than males and clustered around the same levels of poverty compared to males.
let us look at the next slide. Uh, and this is a, a quite a, a challenging issue because while we are saying women have a, a lower levels of Gini coefficient inequality, we are saying that they are united or they are together in one area poorer compared to their male counterparts. Let us look at uh, the Northern Cape on the right-hand side. Generally, it has done well in relation to flattening the, the curve of uh, 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 poverty and, 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 and in relation to flattening the curve of uh, inequality. But let us look at uh, Limpopo and the Eastern Cape, which are red lines there. Uh, they are actually starting to rise again and rise very sharply in, uh, than any other of the provinces in relation to poverty. Whereas Mpumalanga and the Northern Cape are the two provinces that are containing poverty more than any other province. Let us look at the next slide. I will request that we move a bit faster on the slides. Uh, next slide in the interest of time. Now let us look at this slide. Let us just talk on Northern Cape alone. In, uh, in the Northern Cape, which we have uh, marked, uh, in, it's the third line from the top. We can see that 52% of the uh, households depended on the, as their main in, uh, source of income being uh, uh, salaries, whereas 30% came from grants and 8% came from remittances. The more we see of the yellow color or the orange color, we are saying that there is more uh, 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 people that are depending on uh, what's the grants and remittances like we see in Limpopo. Uh, less than 52%, 50%, actually 43% of the population of Limpopo and that of the Northern Cape sitting at, 40, uh, Eastern Cape, sorry, uh, 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 sitting at 44% are dependent uh, uh, only on salaries, 43 and 44%. Whereas the other provinces are above 50%. And in this regard, Northern Cape is sitting at 52%. Let us look at the next slide. The next slide tells us about uh, 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 the issue of unpacking. Uh, let us look at the next slide so that I can talk to it. Yeah, the, the next slide uh, helps us to understand the unpacking the services. And uh, in this regard, access to sanitation, let us look at the Northern Cape, which is the middle uh, uh, one on the right-hand side. The Northern Cape uh, has relatively higher, uh, go back to the previous slide, uh, the Northern Cape has relatively higher uh, uh, than national average access to sanitation uh, than uh, other provinces like your Limpopo. And in this slide where we are now, uh, the Northern Cape shows again, uh, it's now in the middle, a uh, higher than national average on access to electricity. And in this regard, uh, as we have indicated that Northern Cape does show uh, levels of improvement of poverty than some of the provinces like your Eastern Cape and your Limpopo. Let us go to the next slide. Uh, may we skip the next slide because I've already spoken to electricity uh, and go to uh, the, the subsequent slide. Let us go to the subsequent slide. Chairperson, uh, realizing that the slides are moving a bit uh, slower on the system, 
What I will do, let us stop on this slide. I will just continue talking and then the slides will follow us so that we can manage uh, uh, our time better uh, indeed, Chairperson. Now, let us uh, uh, look at, uh, uh, in the Northern Cape, generally, women are more uh, than double the national average in being victims of assault. As we can see on the left-hand side, the Northern Cape leads in this regard. It is followed by the Western Cape, which is followed by the Northwest and the Free State. These four provinces are above the national average. We can see the red bar there is the uh, national average. And there is a dotted line. Anything that is above that dotted line, we classify them as being above average, Chairperson. Uh, so as we go into the next slide, Chairperson, we are saying in this slide, uh, as we move into the next slide, we are saying that generally in the Northern Cape, women are more susceptible to being uh, assaulted. And again, let us look uh, in this regard. Uh, the Northern Cape has 81.2% functional literacy uh, for females. And uh, uh, it's right there at, at, at the second last. So generally, while the Northern Cape is doing well uh, together with Mpumalanga in relation to fighting poverty, the functional literacy of women is relatively, relatively uh, uh, poor. And in this regards, uh, compared to uh, other provinces, itself and the Eastern Cape are at the bottom lowest. Let us look at the next uh, slide, uh, uh, Chairperson. Uh, now, uh, as we look at the next slide, uh, we are indicating that, uh, uh, let us move again further to the next slide. Now, we are looking at small business. Yeah, let's keep it on this line. We are looking at small business. 60% of people, about 65% of people who start small businesses do so because they are unemployed. But in this regard, let us look at this slide. I want us to look at the bars. When it's uh, income from those small businesses or informal, let's call them informal businesses, because in informal businesses, these people have to make a choice on what they produce, whether they want to use it for sustenance of their own lives, their own households, or they want to sell. Uh, the top uh, bars there show us about women. When the income is lower, between zero and 1,500, the majority of them are female. As we can see that it's at 68% versus men, the blue color there, at 40%. When we start increasing on the income coming out of informal business, males start dominating, as we can see with the green bar. The more the income, the more the small businesses are run by males. And if we look at the uh, light blue color at the end, when it's much, much more higher, above 6,000, it's now dominated by men. It's 9% for females versus 18% for men. And it's always the case in society. If we see a group of women uh, standing in a street corner, tilling the field, producing harvesting, and bringing the harvest to sell at a street corner, it's always women. It's led by women. The moment government intervenes uh, or any other person intervenes and put a structure, a formal structure, where they can sell from a proper market environment 
all of a sudden, I don't know where, what goes wrong. All of a sudden, the faces you see there will be made. As if women don't deserve to have anything. Let us look at the next slide. Let us look at the next slide, uh, Chairperson. Uh, the next slide tells us that in the Helakwala, meaning that uh, I finish here. As I say so, it has a history, Chairperson. When I was young, those of us as children who were literate, whatever we could write, we used to write letters for our mothers to our fathers who were migrant workers. As we wrote those letters and sent them out, Chairperson, our mothers could not express them in loving or missing their husbands because those words were not supposed to be heard by children. Uh, all they could do was that, I finish here. And never, Chairperson, never again should we allow a section of the society where any section, including women, cannot express themselves because they cannot read and write or someone needs to intervene to do things for them when they should actually do things for themselves. Chairperson, the next slide is blank. And as it draws blank, it, it draws blank. Let me uh, apologize that I will have to uh, leave. And as I take leave, my colleagues, Neil Rue and uh, Gwen Lithuania, will take questions at the appropriate time. Unless, Chairperson, there are questions that a Chairperson may feel I may need to clarify before I leave, I will do so. But otherwise, I have all the confidence in my colleagues. I thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you very much, uh, our dear Zedrasimiti. Um, I forgot your name now. Risenga, Risenga, Chairperson. Risenga, Maluleke. I will... I, I, I will one day request that you actually tell uh, uh, the ladies, so when your mother could not express, what did you actually write at the end of the letter, since you were the writer of the letter? But we will get back to... <laughs> we will get back to that one. Thank you very much. Like we are, we, our, our methodology is to make sure that we get all the presentations. And at the end of that presentations, we have the discussion. So if you are leaving, you are excused, but thank you very much for your commitment and for the fact that you know we are your mothers and you must come and give us this presentation because you love your mother. In the Helakwal, is it, is it correct? Indeed, it's correct, Chairperson. Thank you very yes. much, Chair. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That was the presentation of the Statistician General. We will now go to Ms. Matebula of the the Commission for Gender Equality. Welcome, uh, Ms. Matebula. And we will now give over to you to do your presentation on the state of gender transformation in Francis Bart and John Taula Heitzewe districts. Thank you very much. Over to you. Hi, Merlin. Um, Good afternoon um, to you, Honorable Chairperson. Um, and uh, I would like to send my greetings to the councillors uh, present. Um, I think that's the wrong presentation. The wrong presentation. Yes. Um, I think whilst you're trying to put up a CGE's presentation, 
let me go on to just um, send my greetings to um, the members of parliament present, um, the councillors that are with us here today. Um, I would like to greet uh, the members of the chapter 9 and um, chapter 10 and chapter 13 institutions, my colleagues, um, and um, greetings to the leaders and members of the district um, um, municipalities uh, present here. Um, I was invited to actually come and present um, on the status of gender equality, gender mainstreaming uh, in the two districts in the Northern Cape. Um, it's still a wrong presentation chair. I might have to, yes, that's the correct one. We may have to uh, move to the next slide, um, Chair. Thank you very much. Um, as we remember, Mayor Francis Bart, um, her middle name. I think by way of just introducing who we are, we are the Commission for Gender Equality for the purposes of those that do not know us. We are an independent statutory body that was established in terms of Section 181 of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa. Our mandate basically is to provide, um, a, a, you know, promote respect for, protect, develop and attain gender equality and to make recommendations on any legislations uh, affecting the status of women. I think there's more bias towards women, but Gender means men, women, boys, girls. We also draw our mandate from the Commission for Gender Equality Act, um, uh, number 39 uh, of 1996. If you look closely at section 11H, um, the, this particular section gives us more powers to monitor and evaluate the implementation of the national, the regional, as well as international conventions that um, we have acceded to as the country, South Africa, anything at all that impacts on gender equality. And again, we are also fulfill fulfilling our mandate as the Commission for Gender Equality by continuously monitoring interventions that are geared towards the empowerment of women in particular and the general attainment uh, of gender equality in the country. Next slide, please. So as the commission, we um, then took a very keen interest uh, in terms of looking at the state of the municipalities in the country. And I think during the period 2020-2017, uh, when we had our strategic um, plan, we looked, we had a particular strategic objective that had a focus on transformation uh, at local government level. And the aim basically Madam Chair, was to make sure that um, this process is a process that begins to open up uh, to municipalities to self-reflect, uh, to assess, amongst other things, progress that has been made in terms of, um, you know, the local governments, the municipalities achieving gender equality through gender transformation and gender mainstreaming approaches. And those approaches basically were approaches that were saying that um, as municipalities collectively and individually, we need to establish whether our IDIPs are able to be engendered. Uh, can we actually put uh, the lens of making sure that 
our IDIPs uh, took into consideration uh, gender equality, gender budgeting, gender planning, um, gender monitoring and evaluation. So we further established uh, within those municipalities if the policies that were there or the policy environment itself in the municipality level were able to embrace um, gender, women empowerment intervention broadly. And uh, we also wanted to see that we can be able to promote the use of gender mainstreaming as a tool or as an approach um, that begins to say in our planning, in our implementation, in our monitoring and evaluation efforts, including audit uh, honorable members that, you know, when we audit, um, you know, our public services at local level, we do have, you know, that gender element that is always there that actually says, how do we or how do our efforts benefit women and men equally um, in municipalities and areas that we serve? We also wanted to facilitate gender responsive identification, analysis and formulation of policies and programs at a local government level. And again, I think when we went in in 2016, we did realize that most of our policies were silent in terms of ensuring that they were gender responsive and gender sensitive. Next slide, please. We further made sure that uh, we, we look at whether the IDIPs were responding to the daily concerns of communities, uh, in particular women, um, you, know, um, you know, looking at issues of feminization of poverty. I think um, our statistician, Mr. Maluleke was quite, um, you know, open and, and clear about the, the feminization of poverty, especially in the Northern Cape and other provinces. We also look broadly at issues of gender-based violence, and I think he has touched on that and how Northern Cape is, is highly, highly affected um, around issues of, um, you know, gender-based violence and, 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 and harassment and all of those things. We also looked at unemployment, housing, health, education, and access to sanitation. I will not repeat this. I think the statistician covered us very, very well on these issues that I'm mentioning currently. We also um, looked at um, whether we could really reflect on the environment, the internal environment, um, and the state of readiness in, in, of, of those municipalities in order to promote gender transformation and make sure that there is um, equal gender representation in decision-making processes in senior and top management uh, within municipalities. Because I know that uh, most often uh, you will find that um, numbers are quite skewed towards males, uh, especially if you uh, go higher at senior management and top management positions. And you will find that a lot of women are, are actually um, uh, women that are actually uh, at the middle uh, management or lower management, women that are serving tea, uh, that are sweeping offices and all of that. So we wanted to make sure that we look at those numbers and we correct what we were actually uh, discovering. We also wanted to make sure that we promote sus uh, substantive gender equality and, and not just chasing numbers, but making sure that the quota systems are actually people, uh, women, men that are able or that were equal to the task, uh, that had relevant uh, qualifications, experiences, and all of that. And lastly, to monitor compliance uh, on legal prescripts guiding gender equality in the country. So basically, that was the aim of us uh, 
as the Commission for Gender Equality moving in. Uh, next slide, please. Um, when you look at the gender policy frameworks uh, from the local government uh, level, I think we, we all know that uh, currently we do have a gender policy framework for local government. Uh, unfortunately, this gender policy framework is coming to an end this year. It's, it started in 2015, 2020, and it remained. I think there was a concern, the Honorable Chairperson, that for the past five years, this particular policy has been a draft, but we did accept the fact that at least there is some guideline that provides for local uh, government and, and guides on, 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 on how local uh, government can actually respond on gender and end development, not only gender, but development as a whole. And this particular draft uh, was a draft that was uh, trying or yes, uh, coming in to um, assist in promoting and facilitating gender mainstreaming and women's empowerment. It has elements within the draft, and it was also giving effects to the state policy commitments, and it was beginning to address specific issues affecting women in terms of uh, women empowerment um, uh, and access uh, to services um, and access um, to quite a number of things. So we also looked uh, broadly um, in all uh, municipalities, including uh, the two municipalities that we are talking about today, Francis Bard, as well as the John Taulo Haitziwi municipality. We looked at the fact that at least the East Salga Women's Commission from the province that is actually looking at these two districts uh, in terms of making sure that there is a coordinating structure that is in existence that begins to promote and advocate for gender um, appropriate uh, strategies and practices within uh, municipalities, the two municipalities, and all the information that comes from these municipalities feed directly into national, regional, as well as continental uh, processes. We also look at the fact that local government vehicles that were there were there to make sure that at least there is generic uh, achievement of better life for all and uh, not leaving <coughs> anyone behind. And I think we were also borrowing from the sustainable development goals uh, that are actually emphasizing the fact that there shouldn't be anyone who is left behind. So as the MDGs were coming to an end and in 2015-16 the SDGs kicked in, we actually made sure that as the Commission for Gender Equality we move into the municipalities with that in mind to say that we are to introduce, slowly introduce uh, gender mainstreaming within those in, uh, municipalities. We should move into the municipalities with the SDG emphasis of leaving no one behind. Next slide, please. Uh, how do we do this uh, gender transformation in municipalities? What we did, uh, especially in those two municipalities, and I know that uh, as the country, we looked at more than 20 municipalities, and the two municipalities that we are talking about today, um, the, the Francis Park, Don Taulo, uh, are the two municipalities that were part of the assessment. So what we did as the Commission for Gender Equality from 2016 to date, we developed a questionnaire, and this questionnaire was a self-assessment kind of a questionnaire, which was to be administered 
um, left it with the municipalities to actually fill it and looked at themselves. As I was saying earlier, that uh, we allowed a process of self-reflection, looking at whether the municipalities uh, or a municipality does have policies and what are the practices internally and externally uh, in what is happening in the communities within, with, within which we operate. Uh, and municipalities were then uh, uh, allowed to fill in those questionnaires and bring the responses to us so that we can identify where the gaps were and where has a municipality tried to make some efforts in terms of uh, achieving gender equality through mainstreaming. Also, I did institutional information that we required from the municipalities. We looked at the profiles, and the profiles were the profiles that were looking at how the municipality is structured, you know, from top echelon, you know, how is, um, is it structured up to the bottom? How are the good governance processes? Are we achieving corporate governance as a municipality? And how are the decisions made? Um, and to an extent, so that at least when we are reviewed, we are seen to be a municipality that is aligned and that is responding uh, to, good, uh, uh, to good or governance or corporate governance um, uh, uh, principles uh, that, 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 that uh, King 3 and King 4 are, are referring to. We further looked at the workforce uh, uh, information. We looked at the total number of employees per grade and how these are aggregated according to gender, race, whether they were, we were meeting disability uh, uh, ratios um, and whether they were current financial issues, um, you know, how is a payment of salaries, um, are we paid equally for the equal work done? Uh, all of these things were looked into in detail. We also looked at the creation of an enabling environment uh, where we were saying that municipalities should actually adopt a, a, a policy that affirms um, and commits to some kind of achieving gender equality over time. And again, we were not strict. We were actually letting municipalities themselves to give us time frames to say we will be a, able to meet these targets within two years, within a year, depending on how fast the particular municipality can move. We looked at issues of safety, occupational health and safety issues. Uh, if it's an, a, a municipality and if it's a, a job that actually a, a, a warrants you to actually wear a protective gear, are those uh, there, uh, are they in place? And all of these things, we looked into them uh, in detail. And we were also saying, if they are not there, what are the measures that are in place to ensure that uh, we have these protective years? What are the measures that are there uh, to ensure that women and men are actually safe in the workplace? And does the municipality in particular, when you look at policy, has some policies that are beginning to speak to sexual harassment, gender discrimination, and what are the action points should we pick up that within a particular municipality? there are gender and sexual discrimination, gender discrimination and sexual harassment. What are the processes that that particular municipality follows in terms of addressing these? Next slide, please. Uh, we further looked at the women's involvement in decision-making. And I think um, earlier I was talking about uh, the structure, the top structure, uh, whether women were represented at the top structure. If not, uh, are there any women 
organizations or are there any structures within the municipalities that are beginning to influence decision making uh, within the municipality? And again, I think we look at this in detail in terms of, you know, how is this constituted, gender-wise, race, um, disability, and whether that information we can have it disaggregated um, as per table uh, below. We further looked at gender budgeting because it's not only about gender planning, implementation, but I think we were interested in the gender budgeting issues um, as well as the internal environment. Uh, we were looking at whether the budgets that are there, are, were they adequately um, you know, um, financially resourcing and supporting uh, gender integration uh, within a municipality? And again, I think further you would um, look at how we look at the questionnaire and, and what came back in terms of whether the budgets were geared towards programs and projects targeting both women and men and briefly explaining each program and each project uh, in terms of budget allocations and whether these were providing uh, for in terms of gender, race, disaggregated, uh, uh, when you look further down uh, as to who are these budgets uh, benefiting? Are they benefiting both women and men equally? Are they, are they looking at issues of race um, and sex and all of that? Those are some of the things that we looked at in detail. Next slide, please. Um, I think at CGE, we had our own observations. Um, and, and I would say observations, and, and I'm quite careful because we did not want to come in um, and, and sort of like really put uh, stringent recommendations and say this needs to be happening. Uh, but this is what we observed um, in the two uh, uh, districts, but also broadly in the country. So these were the realities in the municipalities. Generally, uh, Chairperson, there was lack of cooperation from, from the municipal leaders uh, regarding the CGE processes. I think as we were new, moving in into this new arena or area, uh, managers uh, or leadership uh, at this level were generally skeptical in terms of what we would find it, what we would actually take and table in parliament. So they never wanted to actually cooperate with us. And that, that's understandable. But I think with persuasion and explaining who we are and that the fact that we were not uh, coming to actually uh, we were not punitive in our approach and uh, we were coming to assist the municipality. I think uh, we received some kind of cooperation. Um, generally, there was a lack of resources and willingness to support gender mainstreaming within municipalities. Uh, the representation of women uh, was still minimal and still is. Um, uh, uh, you know, if you look at percentages, I would say, depending on the municipalities, we were coming from very low percentages um, of women representation at decision-making positions. And uh, there were large segments of the workplace or workforce uh, that were still male-dominated and, and women were still um, experiencing barriers in terms of uh, ensuring that um, they were um, uh, allocated at senior levels or at uh, decision-making uh, levels, uh, high decision-making levels. If you look at policies, there was lack of gender transformation within the policies and plans of the municipalities. There was non-compliance in terms of the draft gender policy framework uh, that uh, I referred to. And there was non-compliance with the gender policy framework and 
um, and some of the frameworks and policies at national level. And I think, um, you know, the, the, the approaches to gender mainstreaming basically identified gaps, but I think at a level of municipality and the Northern Cape, um, there was uncoordinated pro a provincial gender machinery. And, and if we talk about gender machinery, uh, we're talking about a process that is supposed to coordinate at a provincial level. Um, it, it's a process that is supposed to be sitting at, um, at the premier's office, and, and it coordinates efforts um, at all levels, government, municipalities, um, and at all levels. So there was uncoordination um, at that level, and, and, and were, this was a cause for concern. There was lack of an enabling environment that promotes women, youth, and persons with disability, not to mention non-gender conforming individuals. And this is a, a group of a vulnerable the populations, if you look at uh, the situation in our, in our provinces and in our districts. Next slide, please. I think this is my last slide, uh, Chair. Um, these are some of the re recommendations and, and, and needed interventions that we engage the municipality managers on. We first looked at the um, National Gender Policy Framework for Local Government, the draft that I referred to, the 2015-2020, against the set um, uh, national and regional and international instruments. So we had a discussion in detail with managers about the draft and how the draft is not directly speaking to what we have committed or signed or acceded to as a country. And we are proposing that as the draft comes to an end this year, uh, we are proposing that uh, the new draft uh, framework should be developed. Um, and this particular new draft should be aligned to the sustainable development goals um, because what we need to do and measure as we move forward are the SDGs that will be measured in 2013. It doesn't end there, Chair. We were saying that um, the, the new draft framework should also align with the um, continental or regional as well as national uh, policy frameworks, such as the uh, National Development Plan, Broad Vision 2030. We should look at how we can align, but also it should actually align with what the IDIPs are saying and requiring at this moment. I would like to pause there, Chairperson. I'm more than willing to take questions with my colleagues, uh, CEO Kegezo, who is um, uh, with us today. Thank you very much, Chair, for the opportunity. Thank you very much, uh, Tamara uh, Matebula. We, I know that by now the ladies are itching to ask some questions. But can they just bear with us for two more presentations? The rest of the time will be actually committed to, to discussions. And we will then request now that uh, Ms. Maharaj Ansu, she is the General Manager of the Finance and Fiscal Commission, and we thought she would, uh, the Finance and Fiscal Commission would know how to assist with a very good uh, presentation for us. So we will give over to you. Um, I just really request some patience we will be we will the rest of the time after the two presentations we will just give mayor musikatse and then we will uh, we will allow input and discussion so over to you 
Ms. Maraj. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson, um, Honorable Members, Honorable Dignitaries, Viewers, thank you so much. Um, from the, it's Ansuya Maharaj uh, from the uh, DARA, from the Financial and Fiscal Commission. Um, we'll just see if the presentation is on. So, essentially, what I'm going to talk about is the role and the function of the Financial and Fiscal Commission. Um, the research that FFC has uh, already done on gender budgeting, uh, FFC's recommendations on gender budgeting, and our concluding remarks, Chairperson. Um, is the uh, presentation? Yes, it's good. So the role and function of the FFC... Can we have the visual of, of Ms. Maraj on video, please? Ms. Maharaj, you may continue, but we just request the staff to put your, your video on. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, the role and function of the FFC, uh, Chairperson, the Financial and Fiscal Commission is an independent, permanent statutory institution that is established in terms of Section 220 of the Constitution. So the FFC is a Chapter 13 um, independent organization uh, that is a constitutional entity. Uh, the enabling legislation is the Financial and Fiscal Commission Act of 1997. The chairperson, the mandate of the um, FFC is that we act as a consultative body uh, where we make recommendation and give advice to parliament, the provincial legislatures, organize local government, and other organs of state on the equitable division of revenue among the three spheres of government and on any other financial and fiscal matters in terms of the constitution and is provided for in national legislation. Uh, the role and function of the FFC is uh, primarily we focus on the equitable division of nationally collected revenue amongst the three spheres of government and also on any financial and fiscal matters. Um, the legislative provisions or executive decisions that affect either provincial or local government from a financial or a fiscal perspective, which obviously includes regulations associated with legislation um, that may amend or extend any legislation and so forth. Um, and if it has fiscal and financial implications, the FFC must be consulted person in that regard in terms of the constitution and its enabling legislation and there's obviously also other relevant legislation um, that comes with it as well. Um, the FFC has conducted research chairperson on uh, gender budgeting and uh, various findings have emerged from that research uh, which I will go through together uh, with your permission, Chairperson, with my colleague, Ms. Nomonde Matabula, who is also a senior researcher. We will go through the FFC research on gender budgeting and what recommendations we had made to government and government's response on gender budgeting as well. So FFC research on gender budgeting, um, the findings emerging from FFC research was that Despite government's commitment to gender equality through various policy and legislative measures, including anti-discrimination legislation and employment equity policies, unacceptable gender inequalities still persist. Uh, so in terms of statistics, uh, black African female headed households are the poorest of the poor in South Africa. 
41.3% of South African households are headed by females. Of these female-headed households, 56% fall into the poorest quantile one, compared to 44% of the male-headed household, and only 31% of female-headed household falls into the upper quantile five, compared to 69% of male-headed household. Uh, and that information, you know, we can obviously uh, furnish more um, in depth um, regarding our our findings um, for that research, uh, Chairperson. So the, uh, to continue, the unemployment rates tend to be higher for women than for men. Between the first quarter of 2008 and the first quarter of 2017, the unemployment rate for women has been consistently higher than the unemployment rate for men. And the national average in the first quarter of 2017, the unemployment rate for women stood at 29.8% compared to 26% for men and the national average of 27.7%. Uh, the not in employment education or training need, that is, um, the rates amongst female youth remains high. In the first quarter of 27, uh, 2017, need rate for female youth aged 20 to 24 was above 50%, compared to 46.6% for males. Uh, Chairperson, uh, to continue with the FFC research on gender budgeting, with your permission, Chairperson, may I hand over to our senior researcher, Ms. Namonde Madabula. Yes, please. She may continue. Thank you, Chairperson. Namonde? Okay. Chairperson, I'm going to continue. Namonde will uh, interject me if uh, she comes on. It probably could be a technical fault on her side as well. Namonde, you'll interject. Chairperson, I'll continue. Uh, please, in light, thank you. In light of the background, one avenue that should receive greater emphasis is the intergovernmental fiscal relations system. So this IGFR system, um, most, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, honorable members um, and honorable now, Chairperson, a successful IGFR system would be sensitive to the needs of women and contribute to moving them out of poverty. Innovations in policy design and implementation are required to ensure gender-sensitive resource allocation. The objective here uh, is to assess the gender responsiveness of municipal budgeting processes. And this study that FFC did followed a two-pronged approach an integrated development plans of 30 randomly selected municipalities were reviewed. Case studies covering seven municipalities across four provinces, which is Kauteng, Western Cape, Eastern Cape, and Free State. Uh, there were particular focus on four sectors, namely local economic development, water and sanitation, early childhood development, and housing infrastructure. Chairperson, did they with the results uh, for FFC's research on uh, gender bonding, um, the budgeting? The findings for the results uh, from the IDP scans was lack of gender mainstreaming and women empowerment as an approach, lack of gender disaggregated data, equity versus mainstreaming for gender equality, more about numbers, and with weak translation of gender equality commitments into fiscal commitments, and the IDPs shows little evidence of the manner in which the IDP planning processes and budget offices have budgeted for in-gender mainstreaming. All this, Chairperson, will definitely, um, these findings will be taken into account. 
Then uh, continuing, uh, Chairperson, with the um, FFC research on gender budgeting, uh, where we did uh, case studies that we carried out by our researchers. And the findings um, that we, the result from the case studies was that there was poor translation of the national agenda on women empowerment and gender equality into local government programs. Uh, there was inadequate cis disaggregated data. Uh, gender discourse is events driven, lack of gender budgeting training and capacity building of decision makers. There was poor institutionalization of gender responsive budgeting and an absence of analysis of the gender impact of existing revenues and um, Chairperson, there was also findings uh, um, regarding the reasons for limited gender mainstreaming and gender budgeting in local government. Uh, and the findings were that there was an absence of an approved gender policy across all municipalities. There was an absence of a municipal gender mainstreaming strategy. Um, the personnel in management, that means those who actually make the decisions and budget officers who track expenditure have very limited knowledge of gender mainstreaming. And the gender uh, equality indicators and the collection of gender disaggregated information was very limited. Chairperson, then, um, in terms of our legislation and in terms of the Constitution, you will notice that FFC uh, does make recommendations, um, which, uh, and they did make recommendations on gender budgeting, where FFC recommendations were made, and then there was a government response, and what was what is the current status of it. So the next two slides um, indicate what the uh, recommendations were, government response, and the status as it stands. So the national and provincial governments, uh, the recommendation made by FFC was that the national and provincial governments should run gender budgeting pilots in a few municipalities first and then evaluate the results before wider application. And these pilots could be linked to ensuring gender disaggregated data for key conditional grants as part of the grant framework in the Division of Revenue Act, as well as, um, secondly, to ensure municipal integrated development plans institutionalize gender planning by sector, example, water, sanitation, local government, etc and include gender disaggregated performance indicators and targets, provide gender budgeting, good practice guides and toolkits. Uh, and thirdly, to provide guidelines for collecting six uh, disaggregated data for budgeting processing, uh, processes and ensure that municipalities have the capacity to analyze these budgets from a gender perspective. Uh, and government's uh, response to that uh, recommendation made by the FFC was that government supported the proposal, uh, which will help ensure that the collection and allocation of public resources is effectively carried out and contributes to advancing gender equality and women's empowerment. It will provide tools to assess the different needs and contributions of men, women, boys and girls within existing revenues, expenditures and allocations and will call for adjusted budget policies to benefit all groups. Um, and the current status, obviously, is DW is engaging with National Treasury on budgets um, and has indicators on the strategic plan. Uh, there was further recommendations made by the FFC. Uh, one is that also further that local government should institutionalize gender responsive budgeting processes 
linked to the integrated development plans um, to build capacity for gender mainstreaming and gender responsive budgeting at local level, ensure gender responsive appropriations and budget allocations, and ensure gender sensitive public participation and consultations at the local level. So government's response to that uh, chairperson was that gender responsive budget analysis along with legislation and other practical policy measures can address gender bias and discrimination. Uh, it is a step towards increased accountability and public transparency, and it can shift economic policies leading to gains across society. However, the proposal's implementation may be hindered by capacity constraints within the municipalities. Um, and the status, unfortunately, on that one is that there's uh, no record on this uh, recommendation, Chairperson. So the concluding uh, remarks, Chairperson, is that key legislation also must be taken into account uh, when looking uh, at, uh, at this. For example, Chairperson, the Municipal Fiscal Powers and Functions Act of uh, two, 2007 uh, states that the minister must consult the commission, that is the Financial and, commission, uh, financial and Fiscal Commission, before any regulations are made under the Act. And then you're looking at your Municipal Finance Management Act as well, uh, where it states that draft national legislation, which directly or indirectly amends this Act, uh, the Financial and Fiscal Commission must be consulted thereof. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Ms. Maraj. Quite interesting, particularly since we had a meeting yesterday where we received the, the proposed gender framework, national gender machinery framework, a planning and budgeting uh, framework, and some of the proposals or some of the things that is coming up in this presentation. So I hope at one way or another we will be able to, to make sure that there is a correlation and uh, that we can work together on this. Yeah. Thank you very much. Like I said, we will take all the the presentations first before we will go over to the discussion just allow me to to get the the last presentation which will be the presentation by the office of the auditor general the deputy auditor general ms maluleke we will allow her now to give us the the presentation okay Thank you very much, um, Honorable Lucas, Deputy Chair of the NCOP. Welcome NCOP. and congratulations. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, good afternoon. Um, and a good afternoon and warm greeting to everybody who's on the call, the Honorable Members, the Councillors, and the Delegates from the different institutions. Thank you for the opportunity to share our insights uh, as we've derived from the work that we've done in auditing local government. May I just check if the presentation that we um, uh, prepared is currently available for members to see? Um, Deputy Chairperson, the, the presentation will not be screened because we're experiencing some technical problems. So if the, if the presenter can just go ahead and, and take us through the, the presentation, uh, it will be distributed to everyone. Okay, no, that's perfectly fine. I'll, I'll do you. that. 
Thank you. Um, you may continue. I'm just sorry for the interruption. Sorry. That's perfectly fine. Thank you. Um, Honorable Lucas, as you would know that we ordered in line with the constitutional mandate um, given to the Office of the Auditor General uh, in accordance also with the provisions of the Public Audit Act um, and our local government audits are done um, in accordance with the provisions of the Municipal Finance Management Act as well as the relevant regulations that uh, govern how um, local government deals with its financial management as well as performance management. In regards to the uh, outcomes of the uh, recent reports, just to clarify that the financial statements and performance reports for the year that ended on the 30th of June 2019 would have been submitted to our office on the 31st of August last year, and we completed those audits in November, and um, the audit reports were tabled in the different councils um, on the 31st of January 2020. Since then, we've spent some time consolidating and analyzing the audit outcomes for each municipality, each district, as well as each province. And we've compiled a view on um, the national outcomes and prepared a general report which will be tabled in Parliament and launched publicly by the Auditor General in a few weeks' time. Whilst the AGSA doesn't cover gender equality, gender mainstreaming in, in specific terms in our work, the outcomes of our audits provide credible and important insight on how financial resources are safeguarded and how they are applied towards the realizations or realization of ambitions, needs, and wants of citizens. Insofar as the Northern Cape is, is concerned, I will share with you, as you've requested, the insights on the municipal outcomes for two districts, uh, namely Francis Bart and John Daolo the slides that, are, that will be distributed to um, the, the people on this call um, use a, a um, set of graphics that I think people are familiar with. But just to make sure that we're all walking together, I'll just reiterate the key categories for audit outcomes. When we audit, we look at three areas. One is the credibility of financial statements. The other one is the usefulness and reliability of performance information. And the third area is compliance with key laws and regulations on financial and performance management. An auditee that is categorized as a clean audit or one that normally is depicted with a green color is one that has uh, got no findings on credibility of financial statements, performance information, or any findings on, on compliance. Unqualified, which is often the yellow zone, relates to audits where you've got credible financial statements at the end of the process of, of auditing, but there are findings, important findings on performance information and on compliance. Um, some of the auditees get what we've called a qualified or modi modified audit opinion, which relates to a, a concern on the credibility of their financial statements. Um, as we move further down the chain, you've got the disclaimed audit opinions where we're unable to confirm the credibility of financials. And then you've got a few audits that remain outstanding at the time that we comply, uh, compile our reports. Those are the ones that we were unable to complete either because of non-submission or some delay in the audit process. Chair, without the benefit of the slides, I'll just highlight a couple of insights around the two different uh, districts. Starting with John Dowling. 
we saw a net improvement in that district um, where the district itself um, had a clean audit. In fact, it was the only clean audit in the Northern Cape province. Um, in our view, it stands out as, as a, uh, an institution that is demonstrating a commitment to best practice uh, in terms of the culture, the governance, and the de delivery of services. Um, the three local municipalities uh, being Kamahara, which improved from a disclaimer to a qualified audit, um, so it, it normally would have a purple color. Jomorulong was unchanged, changed with a disclaimer audit opinion. Khasukhonyana had its audit completed much later than the cutoff, um, but it still had a qualified audit opinion as it did in the previous year. The audit out outcomes don't seem to be changing significantly um, in the province and also in these two districts. Um, even though you had these two improvements within this district, um, there, there isn't a, an encouraging move in the right direction. Francis Bart itself was, was more stagnant. Uh, the district unqualified again. Gihazong disclaimer again. Mahareng qualified again. Kukwani is the one that's got the administrator in place following the section 139. Um, so that one hasn't, been, hasn't had financial submitted for audit. So Plaiki qualified again, and that one hasn't quite recovered from the instability that came about when the uh, CFO and the municipal manager were suspended some time ago. When you look at the districts, they tend to do better than the local municipalities within their district. And our concern is that um, whilst they may be showing some improvement in how they, they prepare their financials, First of all, they tend to rely on consultants to help them put financials together. But importantly, there's very little evidence that they're providing effective support to the local municipalities in their domain. And that's consistent with other districts that we've seen in different parts of the country, where in all too many instances, there's little um, support being given to local municipalities whilst the districts are able to at least prepare credible financials. On the budgets themselves, if you look at the two districts, they make up 47% of the province's uh, local government budget. Um, and if we consider that you had uh, one auditee that was a clean audit and another one that had um, unqualified statements, it would mean that most of the budget associated with these two districts is held in municipalities that are unable to account appropriately for the financial resources with which they invest. And that's a concern because it means that even if we get the budgeting right and we do the things that the chair of the CGE was referring to, we are unable to look after those resources and make sure they're applied to the things that have been budgeted, make sure they're applied to programs that genuinely do drive um, the enhanced participation of women in the local economy and programs that do support the more vulnerable and poorer households, which tend to be women-led, as the, the as statistician general was referring to earlier on. Many of the issues that we find in our audits relate to poor internal controls. And I'm sure, Chair, you would have heard us say this before. Uh, our concern is that we're not seeing enough of an improvement in, in those controls, whether it's the ones that are about preventing things going wrong, but also the ones that are about detecting when things go wrong and addressing those quickly enough. And what tends to happen is that with pure financial management over time, um, the financial health of those municipalities gets compromised. 
what we're finding is that there are major, major financial health concerns throughout the province, um, where you've got debtors that are not being recovered, where you've got um, 60% of, of those debtors sitting in the books of municipalities unlikely to be recovered, which affects the cash flows available to implement any budgets for the current year or for the future. It affects the ability of that municipality to pay suppliers. Um, and that really talks to any supplier, whether it's, it's large or small. And if you think about the smaller entities that operate within the, the local economic framework, um, they tend to be much more vulnerable to what happens when government delays in paying them. Um, we're finding also that um, the, the, the payment period for, for creditors in municipalities can easily be up to 400 odd days in terms of paying the, the creditors, um, which obviously could easily cause many a small business to fail. In summary, Chair, uh, and I don't want to take up a lot of time, I'll give an example of what happens when we don't uh, apply these internal controls that are so critical. One of the municipalities, Hamahara local municipality, um, changed its, its system for accounting for, for revenue. Um, and what they didn't do was make sure that they continued to perform regular reconciliations and follow up of the cash due to the revenue due to the municipality. So they were unable to collect revenue that was actually due to them. And what that does is purely because they were unable to detect that they're not billing for water and for electricity in the way that they should, they're unable to collect it and they're unlikely to ever collect it. And that loss then gets sustained by the municipality going into the future. So it's these sorts of controls that are about preventing losses um, making sure that where things go wrong, we're able to detect them quickly and address them um, effectively. When we don't have those controls in place, the financial health and therefore the ability of uh, an institution to meet its obligations of serving citizens um, is, is compromised and is very difficult to recover. So I, as, I, as I head towards a close, what we're seeing in, in both districts and, in its, in its, and, and particularly in the local municipalities in both those districts is um, a breakdown in preventative controls. We're finding that there is either instability in the offices, particularly of the municipal manager or the CFOs, um, where there's a lack of skills, there's a lack of, and or even um, the instances where they're acting slowly when, when things have gone wrong. There's some concern about the capacity of the impacts to conduct oversight. Oversight on how budgets are being allocated, how budgets are being spent and how resources are, are actually being preserved for, for the future. We're concerned about the, the poor financial record keeping and reporting that, that remains prevalent in many municipalities across those two districts. So um, much attention chair needs to be paid to strengthening the capability of municipalities so that they can manage their finances. As the economy um, shrinks, so to the need for us to be prudent in, how, in managing what we have um, increases. And so what we need to do in building the, 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 the resources and the, and the capability within those institutions to manage the scarce resources um, is critical in terms of um, uh, uh, being able to serve the needs of citizens. If we're going to be able to drive economic development, if we're going to be able to continue to provide water and sustain the services that the statistician general was talking about, if we're going to be able to sustain the, the gains made by the province, 
in terms of access to electricity, access to water, access to sanitation. We need to make sure that we um, build and sustain strong institutions through instilling a culture of and a commitment to preventative controls. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, Ms. Marileka. I think what we can do now, because of the time factor, we will allow the discussion and we will request Honorable Musikatsi to, at the end, do an input and then do the vote of thanks. So I've got a speaker's list right here in front of me and I will immediately start with the speaker's list. I'm using the chairperson's uh, discretion, Comrade uh, Tandi. So we will request that Ms. Tandi, Mufulo, you can be the first one to make your input. Am I clear? Yes, Chairperson, thank you so much. IT, can you hear me? It's your, it's your turn. I'm hearing you, you clearly. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see you. It's not a long time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Chairperson. My name is Tandi Wemfulo. I'm from the Organization of Disabled People South Africa. Mm. Chair, there's such a lot that I want to say, but I'll cut it. I'll, I'll put my inputs in terms of yeah, making general so that it, can, it affects everything that was said, including the charter itself. Where I'm going to start is around the issue of State South Africa. Where they were making inputs in, stem, in terms of states. One of the things that I think we are missing in South Africa is to have a proper state around issues of disability. Because... Why I'm saying so? The state is talking about women. But what about us women with disability? Where do we feature? We end up being forgotten based on we are not part of the state. I don't say, for me, I'm, when I'm talking about it, it means I would like to have states that specifically on each and every item that is there speaks to disability, especially women. And it's not happening. When it comes to Education, Chair, hey, that's a serious challenge, especially in the Northern Cape, because I could hear the debate is around Northern Cape. We've got only one district that has got school for children with disability, which other districts I was there, I don't know, is that a school or is it just a home for children to sit there? Why, what we don't have, in all our district, we don't have what we call inclusive education. I'll make a practical example. Tandi is a child who's using crutches or wheelchair or assistive devices. When you are supposed time to go to school, you are being put back because you are, you are supposed to go to a special school. Now, you miss your, your, your people, your peers that are together with you you miss to go to school because you are waiting for the special schools, which is only based in the Francis Bar district, but it's little for children in the province. It's, it, it cannot cater for everybody. Employment, Chair. I've been looking where the states are going around employment. 
employment for people with disabilities. As a former MP, you know the three-minute rule. So some yeah, of you... Okay. Is it a three-minute chair? Yeah, I, I know the three-minute rule. I don't want you to take all the time. But I think your presentation will be also to, to submit it in writing. It will assist yes, us chair. a lot. Thank you. Yes, chair. That's mm. why I was saying, I'm, oh, is it only three minutes? I didn't know. I thought that it's more than that. My apologies. I'm talking about when it comes to employment, when it comes to violence against women. Now, recently, last year, November, December, I had a case of children who were raped. When they got there, you know, the investigating officer was saying, no, these children, is, they, 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 don't, they talk nonsense because it's children with mental disability. So violence, when we talk about, we only talk about women. What about women with disability, children, young women with disability? Uh, the policies of our provinces, I, I don't know whether they are going or coming to. Disability issues, you can go to any municipality, they don't even have a single policy around disability, around employment, around everything. They don't have chair. When it comes to businesses, opportunities, ooh. You know, when I was looking at Mr. Uh, Maluleka's presentation, I looked at it and it's the truth. The, the, the male are coming in and women a little bit. Now, what about women with disability? It's, it's a serious challenge in our provinces. And until we can look at those things holistically and our stats, when you talk about stats, not that talk about women or children. Stats that says when it comes to women with disability, these are the challenges. When it comes to people with disability, these are the challenges. Then we will be able to reach what we want to reach. At this moment, hey, Tina's disabled people were far behind with everything compared to women at large. We are still behind about everything. But on Thank policies you. question, yeah, my last point Thank is you. to say you spoke about the policies, but we also have an email address where you can submit your yes, whole script. And we would, be, we would really appreciate it because we are going to develop a booklet that will contain all the submissions. I'll do that, Chair. On policies, Chair, the policies need to be very clear. And you cannot have a policy that does not have a monitoring. After we drafted the policy, it must come together with the monitoring, together with the plan to say, this is the policy, but this is our plan to make sure that mm. policy is happening. And the last one is to have monitoring. This is how we are going to monitor this policy and this plan that we have drafted. Now at this Thank moment, you. there's a lot of policies, but there's no planning, there's no monitoring, there's no implementation plan, and that's where the challenges comes in. Thank you, Chair, for giving me this chance. Thank you very much, and thanks, and I'm very glad to see you again after a long time. Uh, the next one will be Ms. Marilyn Moseki from the NC Women's League. <coughs> Marlene? Um, good day, uh, Chairperson, and everyone present. Chair, we appreciate the opportunity and the presentations that have been made here. It is an eye-opener to many people because it clearly indicates that gender equality is still far-fetched, even though we've got all the policies and prescriptions in place. And I have noted that in order for us to can really to ensure that these things are happening, we need to stand up and ensure that we, we defend the rights of women, um, not just lip service. We need really to stand up now and do what is right. 
we need to ensure that, just like Ostant indicated, the policies are reviewed and we create a leadership pipeline through which we can capacitate and develop uh, women um, for upward mobility, including through program for leadership development. We also need to provide, to ensure that um, adequate resources are, are, are being provided uh, to ensure that we deal with the issue of patriarchy. Um, the stats indicated that where, where, when there is a chance for women to be developed and empowered, immediately men will come in and they will get the better chunk of the, of, of the budget. So it is clearly uh, a stigmatization that will also go in there pertaining to our sex workers, LGBTQI+, and including the persons with disabilities. So indeed, we have noted all this. We have noted that there is a challenge still at the local government whereby um, gender equality is not taken into, into consideration, including gender mainstreaming. And our women are at the cold face of service delivery. They are suffering the most um, we appreciate that government has already done a lot, as it was indicated to say that when it comes to sanitation and water provision, there's a lot that has already happened in the Northern Cape, and we appreciate that very much. However, to what an extent have we made provision for those women who are in rural areas? Are they still suffering the same brand that they've been suffering for so many years? And um, with that few words, Chairperson, uh, I believe that there is a lot that we can do and we must still go ahead and ensure that we sit down and see how can we advocate and lobby for more opportunities for women and persons with disabilities, including LGBTQI plus and the sex workers. I thank you. Thank you, Marlene. Just just remember to submit your your, your presentation or your submission in, in writing to women's chapter review at parliament.gov.za. The next we'll do so many. Yes, please. Thank you, my dear. The next thank you, Lona. Lona. Lona Hatalane. Lona. Lona. If Lona is not there, can we move to the next speaker? Will be Angela Modise of the PWMSA. Angela Modise. Angela Modise. Do we have uh, Angela? Then we can go to Mary Fibejo from Bopelanke Center. Mary Fibejo. Is there any problem why we don't get the, the people on to those? Can we then have Sorry. Thanks for connect, connecting me, but we're working Are on they, it. Is it? Mm. Okay. So uh, we will continue. We will come back to the to the people that, that they didn't connect. Tebo Homokwati from LGBTIQ or QI. Tebo Homokwati. There is something, there's definitely something wrong. Pastor Sonia. What, what happened? So is all the people not connected? Is it? Am I online is now? Sonia is, is there. It Pastor, is it Pastor Sonia? Yes, this is Pastor Sonia. Pastor, yes, hi. Hello, my dear. You can continue. 
thank you so much madam chair um part of my question has already been put on the table about the women living in the farms and rural areas and then also another question is i would like to find out what why are services delayed or why are there no services for in the gender based violence and femicide um to victims of these uh, gender based violence we hardly have enough shelters to house these victims in uh, francis bart and other districts within the northern cape the the rest i will put on paper through the office of uh, office on the status of women thank you thank you thank you pasta we appreciate the fact that you are uh, you have participated we will uh, can the house officials just indicate when other people that have been called already come up and in the meantime we will go to mabatu mabika hello mabatu yes 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 hi thank you so much for the opportunity mm-hmm. i'd like mabatu. to greet all honorable members of parliament as well as our local provincial and district leadership um there are quite a number of issues but i'm going to summarize as best as possible with regards to the poverty the feminization of poverty i think um mr maluleka has covered a number of issues but i would like to include specifically that we are in the fourth industrial revolution and i did not see how that affects women disproportionately women are going to be left behind if we do not include them in interventions with to capacitating them with the fourth industrial revolution that is currently taking place so that is an area of concern that is an area of concern and i wish to make a submission on that also what is also of a area of concern is the issue of land and access to land for women especially in the francis bart district where we reside um the land that is already in the municipal in the municipalities power needs to be distributed to women and women need to be given um access to this land land is a commodity and can be used as a tool and as a resource to free women from the shackles of economic um inequality so it is very important for us to view land reform in a gendered manner so that is also an area of concern lastly without taking too much time chairperson i'd like to bring to the attention of my colleagues um the reason that we are in a pandemic right now and the interventions that have come about from a national standpoint seem to be gender blind women are going to be plunged back into poverty plunged back into inequality if we do not genderize the interventions and the implementations thereof so it is very important when we are seeking um interventions and strategies from a national level to think about it from a gender sensitive point of view covid-19 has already exposed our crumbling system we were caught of god and it has exposed the fact that women are being left behind and this needs to be addressed with with um precision so that's my submission i will submit the rest of, of um what i have to the email address that is available thank you so much thank you very much mabato we appreciate really your input particularly as a young woman next we will give to queen queen mohatle 
queen, if queen is not the encarissant, ngezi, encarissant, if encarissant uh, is not there, there was a hand from the floor, before I go to, to Mayor uh, Litwetsi, uh, there was a hand from the floor, you can continue, you may speak. So, can, can the two people that are, that are lifting their hands, can they just speak? They can just speak. Unmute yourself and speak. You will identify yourself. Yes, please. Yes, good day. My name is Tobeka Mutintelwa. Tobeka, yes. Tobeka, continue. Can I continue? Yes, please. Okay, I just want to check with the Commission for Gender Equality, ne? because they, they said that there is a way that they assess in terms of gender transformation in the municipalities. Now, I just want to check, ne? after they have assessed as the Commission, what is that, 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 they, are, that they are doing to enforce municipality and government department uh, in terms of compliance uh, for persons with disability, because in, in 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 our province, in most cases, we don't have persons with disability who are employed. And then most of sector departments, when they advertise their position, they don't encourage persons with a disability, especially women, and women in particular, to apply for positions. And then my next input will be that in terms of the involvement of women in decision makings, what I can say is that women are still left behind in decision making. And where, where you find women uh, in, in, in key position, you will find women being oppressed by their male uh, counterparts. Another input that I wanted to make to the presentation that Mr. Maluleka did is that in terms of the of education, we still find ourselves or find women who are highly qualified, not employed, not only because they, they are not qualified, but they are always uh, marginalized in terms of employment. So it's, 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 it's my comment on that one. Yet we say women must be educated, women must be at the forefront, but we find women, uh, women left behind by those who are leading particular, particular uh, men. Um, I think I will pass on that. Thank you. Can the second person that indicated uh, on, the, on the platform, can the second person speak? You will also introduce yourself like what Tobeka did. You may speak. Samuel, can you unmute her, please? I'll just to unmute. My name is Ethel Butubile Mudise, ma'am. Uh, I, I will speak on the, on the presentation. 
on the presentation of Mr. Malule. I really welcome the presentation. But I've got a concern, Chairperson. My concern is when he said, we must get educated, then we can get the jobs. They are educated. They got metric. Some have gone some to short enough and a number of people are not doing so I like to say you must really make sure that um they want the women and God will to meet is made sure that the employment rate is going to go up is on ice as it so thank you chairman thank you mamadite just just uh, the, the issue is that your connection is very 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 weak so really i hope you will write your submission down besides what you have said and what we could gather but your 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 connection is very weak so but is it, if you still have something right. to say you may say you sound better now possibly you can say you can conclude your your input please you can clear mark mamudi that is all with what you want to start i can really greet but i will thank you oh, i'm so thank you ma i think uh, we would love to we wish we wish your your, your link could have been better but it's it's very weak so let uh, but thank you very much for now we don't hear you we cannot hear you we cannot hear you Can can she be unmuted, Sebu? Can she be unmuted, Sebu? Yes, ma'am. We're attending to it. Please, because she's still trying to speak. Is there any other indications? Um. None. Is is Maya is Maya literally on the line? Is she connected, Dineo? Is there any other person that want to speak? I want to speak. Yes, please. Hi, Ellen Laban. How are you? <laughs> Hi, I'm fine. How are you? Thank you. <laughs> you are more um, than welcome. Thank mm. you so much, Chaperson. Um, Chaperson, I just um I just want to raise um uh, uh one thing. Um, I just wanted to indicate that we do have policies. and for me um it's that um policies are not being implemented so um what i would like to see because we know that um parliament and legislatures are the ones who uh, um who sign off apps of departments so we would want to see before uh, um 
parliament and legislatures can sign off on APPs of parliaments. They must make it a point that um, the APPs of, 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 um, of the departments are gender responsive. Because last year as well, the president signed off on the uh, gender responsive budgeting, planning, monitoring and evaluation. But still departments do not comply. So um, I think that parliament and legislatures um, must not sign off unless um, departments comply on issues of women, persons with disabilities and children. We also know there is a um, preferential procurement and government also does not con comply. So um, I think if um, parliament can crack the whip on, on, on departments as well as on municipalities. Um, thank you so much, Jefferson. Thank, thank you, Babes. Uh, thank you, Ellen. Uh, is there any other person? Can we have an indication uh, of the others that we have called before, possibly whether they are back on the platform? If none, can we go to, to Mayor Letweti? Gineo, is she there? If not, then we will give now to uh, if some of the guest speakers, the presenters, is still on. If there is anything that they want to say before we go to Mayor Mosikatsi. Anyone can, can speak if there is something that you want to comment on. Um. <clears throat> Chair, it's, it's Takani from the Office of the Auditor General. Um, th thank you, Chair. There was just one last comment I uh, wanted to emphasize, which is that for as long as we see the prevalence of non-compliance with laws and regulations that govern how local government uh, manages its affairs, we're not going to get the benefit of any positive moves to enhance the laws that govern how we deal with gender mainstreaming and gender equality. So our concern is about ensuring that we heighten the attention of all that operates within the system of local government um, to, towards driving compliance with all the things that we design so that the policies and the good ambitions that we have um, are actually implemented in the way that we've designed uh, and we ultimately get the benefit thereof. Whether you're talking about gender, uh, people with disabilities, the youth, black business, local economic development. For as long as we are tolerating non-compliance, um, the, the, the laws will remain unimplemented. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Takani. Is there Tamara, anyone? Ms. Maraj? Sebu, is there any one of our presenters that want to say something? Yes, ma'am. Just, yes. just in line with what uh, Ms. Maharaj, my colleague, said in terms of the presentations, that mm -hmm. actually the more emphasis in terms of the, of the research that we did, uh, we need to be mindful that uh, gender equity is not equal to gender equality. So more emphasis should be on the gender equality because right now on the IDPs that we looked at at municipalities, you find out that 
they sort of comply in terms of the recruitment. This is the numbers, but this shouldn't be a numbers game. There should be equality because gender equity is not equal to gender equality. They are totally different. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you very much. That is a very important point that you have raised there because I think that is exactly where the, uh, the anomaly and the discontent is coming in because people see gender equity as equality and equality is definitely on a, on a different level to make sure that we actually achieve what we actually want to achieve. Is there any other person that want to make it the, the CGE? Do they still want to make an input? Okay. Our, yes. our CEO is going to respond. Thank you. Um, municipalities to make sure that they look at gender mainstreaming seriously. Over to you, Kweketso. Thank you. Thank you, Manta. Yes, thank, thank you very much, uh, I think that the, the, the main question uh, that we were asked is uh, what do we do in terms of us and uh, making sure that we, we enforce. Um, we have a process where we subpoena uh, a lot of uh, leadership uh, across uh, municipalities and in fact specifically from uh, the municipalities that we are we are looking at uh, from Francis, but we have uh, been subpoenaing and, and engage, trying to engage very hard with so plucky mm. um, uh, as a way to try and enforce you know, some of the processes, especially when it comes to issues of policies around sexual harassment and the like, because it's one of the problems that we... If you can just speak closer to the mic microphone. If you just speak closer to the microphone or to your gadget so that we can hear better. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Chair. Am I audible enough? Very much now. Mm. Thank you. I was just saying uh, part of our processes is always to, to subpoena the leadership um, to try and, and, and enforce and check how far they are with some of the findings and the recommendations that we have uh, put forward. And I was just making an example to say specifically around the area of Francis Bart, uh, we have been uh, subpoenaing uh, the MM uh, in Seoul Plachi municipality. But I must also indicate that one of the problems that we are seeing is the change of leadership uh, a lot of times. If you look at Seoul Plachi specifically, there have been quite a lot of MMs that have been acting. So in two months, you engage with one person who then says I'm going to take specific things forward and then the next thing in the next three months when we want when we want progress then you find that that person is no longer there it's someone else so that instability as well I think does become problematic um, but yeah we do uh, uh, subpoena uh, and engage even with uh, mayors and the people that are higher and obviously we go to parliament to uh, highlight some of these problems uh, thank you Chair. Thank you. Thank you very much. We will, uh, we will now give to Mayor Mosikatsi, but I also think there is a very important issue that was raised by the Statistician General around the issue of, of, of available sanitation in John Taula Hetsewe that flush and, and chemical toilets 
is at the level of 31%, which is extremely low, particularly also for the Northern Cape, where you find that other areas might have about 90% of, of flush or chemical toilets. Possibly, uh, um, Mayor Masikatsi, Sophia, the only thing that I would love to know is that in the absence of then chemical or flush, what is the sanitation that is currently prevalent more in the John Tauler-Hatsewe area? But I think it might come out in your presentation and you will also be doing the vote of things. Thank you. Over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. Are you able to hear me? You are very audible. Thank you, my dear. Thank you so much. Good to see you again. Good to see you. Lockdown Thank is you. Lockdown is divorcing us. Yes. Uh, Chair, let me first take, I am a little bit disabled in my mouth, so you don't have to look too much to my lips. <laughs> uh, yes, but I want to speak. Thank you for this opportunity uh, for inviting women also to come and assess the work that government needs to do to actually ensure that the lives of our people or the lives of women are coming, in fact, better. But let me start by also welcoming all the presentations that has been presented to us by the different presenters. But also, let me also thank government for the efforts of putting key legislations and policies in place to ensure that uh, we make sure that our women is covered in our policies and legislation pieces that we have. And because today we especially, we speak about local government issues of which I'm also a public representative in local, a public representative in local government. And I also want to appreciate the women who are part of this conversation today, which are councillors and other stakeholders that are supporting local government. And also acknowledging the challenges that we still have in our systems, especially in local government, in terms of ensuring that our women has accessibility to our municipalities in terms of uh, those that are having disabilities and uh, because I'm not going to say much because people has already made some inputs on some of the issues. But as I was listening to the report that have been presented to us today, uh, the report speaks of the two municipalities in the Northern Cape province, which is John Towler and Francis Bart. The report outlines some shortcomings with regard to the legislation or the gender, the, the, the audit that was uh, concluded by the Gender Commission in the two municipalities. Uh, it shows that as municipalities, we still have a lot of shortcomings when coming to gender issues within our municipalities. But I must also mention that Salga has also launched a gender commission of which those gender commission also launched gender committees in our all municipalities in the Northern Cape. Each municipality in this Northern Cape is having a gender commissioner who is responsible to ensure that we have women caucuses through which issues of women 
needs to be presented by dead women caucuses. And that women also take part in the, in the decision-making of local government or of municipalities in this regard. So it is important that the report that has been presented that actually indicate that there are so many things that we were supposed to be doing that was not done by municipalities. As municipalities and as leadership or political leadership of municipalities, it's our responsibility to go back to that report and also ensure that those things that we need to implement, it must be implemented because the same report or the same things that needs to be implemented at municipality is the same things that all of us agreed upon as women to say that as women who will be leading in municipalities or wherever we are, we must ensure that we make things easier for our women. Because when speaking about service delivery, which is section 153 of the constitution, that municipalities must ensure that we give services to our communities. And then you will find that uh, in those communities we have women who are not working, we have women who is having children, and then this woman has the responsibility to take care of themselves, of their children, and some of those children may be children that are attending schools and all those issues. So it is important that as women, we look after our women. But it is also important for us, all of us as women, to start with us because we are raising things like whenever there is a woman in a position who is, who is having the qualification, the expertise, but all of a sudden you will find out that uh, men are always suppressing or suppressing that woman or suppressing us as women. But now it's an opportunity for us as a woman, it's an eye opening to us to say that Maybe if we can only challenge ourselves one day to support each other and not fighting each other, then we will be able to get so many things right in the system of local government and in other, our, in other departments of government where we are working. But because we never really want to support each other, we always want to see each other down, but it won't assist us. It is only us that has put ourselves in this situation because we don't want to stand up for ourselves. So this is a challenge that I also want to throw to all of us. I'm speaking to us who are in local government as politicians, as mayors, as speakers, as councillors. Let's start supporting each other as women for issues, issues that are actually issues that speaks to women. Let's support each other and our things will come right. But for as long as we don't support each other, women issues will never be reflected in our budgets in our agendas. We need to have these things to happen, but it will only happen if we make it happen. I want to come to the report of State South Africa. I'm well aware of the report of State SA. 
because from the district where I'm speaking from, but I don't only want to speak for my district, but because at another level, I'm also a chairperson of Salga, but I'm invited here as a mayor, but I would like to use this opportunity. Don't forget your title as Salga, Chair. Yes, I'm saying that, Chair. Uh, as I was indicating that uh, we have women commissioners in our municipalities, I think it's also their responsibility to ensure that now that Salga has appointed them, they must do their work. Issues of gender, issues in our municipalities, they must in fact now come on and look at the report that has been presented to us to ensure that they make follow-ups, they monitor that report to ensure that whatever we need to implement, we must implement and we must all take responsibility as leadership in local government. Uh, in the district where I'm living, I know that this district is one of the poor districts. But I also listened to the reports that has been presented that were saying that the Northern Cape is not that bad in terms of poverty. But uh, where I'm living, I have one of the municipalities who are the biggest municipality in the JTG district, which is Jomorolo. As, as a report indicates to me that, or to us, that 49% of our people is sleeping without food in this district. And uh, coming to service delivery, the reports also show that there is still a shortage, Chair. Uh, maybe to answer, in JTG, especially in our communities, our people are using most of them are using petlet train toilets other than other sanitation in our district. We still use petlet trains. I think you all understand when I'm saying petlet train, I'm speaking of a hole that has been digged. And then the same petlet train is contaminating the water, the underground water of our district in this regard because we are also using borehole waters to provide our communities with water in the JTG. So, but as chair of SALGA, I would like uh, SALGA also in this regard to bring women together to ensure that we speak to our women, these issues that has been raised here. It is important that time to time we talked about these issues because if we only talked when the report is being presented in parliament, then after that we forget. Uh, remember, we are almost now five years. We are in fact preparing ourselves going out of local government by next year. And still we have these issues being raised in this report. This report is indicating to us that these issues are coming, or this gender, this report is coming from 2015 until 2020. So it is important that we need to look at these issues and come up with mechanisms together with the Office of the Premier, Uslaban, to assist us and ensure that we address these issues where we can address them. Should I now close the meeting, Chair? Just before that, thank you very much, uh, 
Memo Sekatsi for the input. I, I also really want to appreciate the participation of everyone. I think without you, uh, particularly the women that have been attending our virtual meeting, we cannot make a success of our programs. So I, I just thought that particularly our speakers, it was very high level and very, very uh, useful information. And I, I hope throughout, whilst we are busy to take this to the almost 40 districts, we will be able to cooperate the way we have been cooperating. I don't want to make a more uh, remarks. I will only give over to you now, Mayor Sophia, to do the vote of things. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. But maybe before I close, I must also just uh, say to the chairperson, the district of the clean audit in the province, we are speaking about John Tavlo Haitel. I got the report yesterday in the APEC meeting. I was there. Thank you. But, mm. Chair, before I close, uh, it's also important to to just make a note on the report of the Auditor General because it's very important for municipalities to put in place the necessary systems, controls that we need to put in place to ensure that our things are in order when the Auditor General comes and audit our books. And also district municipalities is our responsibility again to assess our local municipalities within our districts so that if we shine, they also shine. But then now, because I'm closing, let me take this opportunity once more to thank the members, all of us that has been invited to be part of this uh, engagement today. And also thank the chairperson of the meeting for ensuring that she create a platform to give us an opportunity as women to reflect on issues that are affecting us. Uh, thank you for uh, thinking of your province, thinking of JTG, and not, not saying that you are forgetting other provinces, but I think this is a good start that you, you start at home to ensure that when you point a finger to other people, you have cleaned your house at home. So we really appreciate we also appreciate and thank members who have been making inputs into the session. And I thank you so much. I see most of the faces are faces that I know from the set municipalities. Thank you so much. And also the Women's League of the ANC present in the session. Thank you so much for leading us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Chair, thank you very much. Mm. With that, Honourable Participant, the meeting stands adjourned. Thank you very much. We were just in time so that the next people can put up their platform for their meeting. Thank you very much. God bless. Thank you. Oh.